I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? And welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Michael Patton, and you are listening to Theology Unplugged. We get unplugged in the sense that uh, we unplug... What do we unplug when we unplug theology? I guess we unplug... I guess it's more in the realm of when you think of going to a concert with musicians who are unplugged. It's more casual. It's more informal. It's not as produced. So with the idea that what would it be like for three chumps to get into a room and talk about theology, let's record it with the thought that it might be beneficial and edifying for other people. Backstage passes, right? That's kind of it. Backstage passes to... Just the, hang out after after the sermon conversations, after the classroom conversations. Kind of the after-the-show party hangout. All right, well, we're unplugged with uh, Kurt Cobain, <laughs> right? That's no. the last person I saw unplugged. We are here in the afterworld. I didn't see him unplugged. I just saw him on, uh, on his special unplugged. That was back in 93 or something. We do have a quote of Kurt Cobain here in the, in the Credo House on our TV that says, uh, I'd rather be... Um, hated for who I am than love for who I am not. That has nothing to do with being unplugged. It has. You to. just took the Kurt Cobain thing and you went on a rabbit trail. Well, I just took it a step. And you're further. wasting the time of our audience. I just no. What I tried to do was redeem the mention of Kurt Cobain by bringing it to some sort of a thought-provoking idea that would then stir us towards. Uh, you got just, something against Kurt Cobain? No, that's why I brought in a, a very, I thought, deep and profound thing that he said. All right, all right, all right. We're uh, here talking to Tim and Sam. Sam is well, back you're with arguing us. with Tim and you're talking to Sam. Well, Sam's here. I've got to bring him in. Sam, hey. How's it going? <laughs> Good to see you. So now I'm one of three chumps. Is that what I heard Tim say? Yeah, in the backstage. Okay. I've always wanted to be a chump with other chumps. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. It's a time for us to, uh, to, I guess, just have our conversations and have people sit as a fly on the wall. So this is Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. And Theology Unplugged, so welcome everybody. We are going to be getting unplugged here in just a moment, but just quickly, Tim, if you will, mention our release, our latest release. Yeah, well, we're really excited to release Bible Boot Camp. We, that's going to be a four or five volume series that we think of it of as a four 45 minute sessions. And so with our first volume, we released uh, t- starting tomorrow. We've taken pre orders, but we'll actually start shipping tomorrow. Um, so by the time of this broadcast, uh, it'll be shipped and, and going out. And it is our first volume is Essentials of the Faith. So with the idea that in just four a four-week study, you can cover what we would believe would be the four most important essentials of the Christian faith for someone to, to grasp and, and learn about. And we go into uh, historically rich areas such as the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon, the Augustinian-Pelagian debate, uh, views on the Bible and its accuracy. So uh, we really seek to really stir someone's mind and their heart through just a four-week study. Why is it called a boot camp? It's called a boot camp because it's really meant to be a quick uh, real deep but uh, foundational yet accessible uh, study, and so where our theology program is is wonderful, I love it. Uh, it's a total of sixty sessions, though. If you went through the entire theology program, where a boot camp you could do it in a half a day, 
if you just want to get your leaders together or get a group together or get your family together and go through in just four hours, you can go through what we would say would be the essentials of the Christian faith. All right. Well, good. Uh, those of you who have thought about the theology program before, you've heard us mention it many times on this broadcast and encourage you all to get involved in it. We would also like to have you get involved in the boot camp. That's a first step. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough about boot camp. Let's talk uh, what we are going to be speaking on for the next uh, at least 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, we've got we, – uh, <clears throat> I noticed this book that came out, and you presented the book, and it's about John Piper. It's called For the Fame of God's Name. Um, and, and it's a tribute to John Piper. Now, first of all, I didn't think you made tributes to people until after they were dead. Is this – I mean, isn't that bad? Omen or something? Well, we had a few people who uh, suggested to us that John might have preferred that we wait until he died. And we actually mentioned that in the uh, personal note at the opening of the book that we considered that, but then we realized that a lot of the people or several of the people who are going to contribute to the book might themselves die before John did, <laughs> and uh, they wanted to get their uh, words of appreciation in before then. So That would be uh, a really slight bit morbid, wouldn't it, waiting, you know, you write it and then wait? Yeah, it kind of would. I, so we we decided we wanted to do it at this time. And John turned 65 in January, although we didn't necessarily try to gear it around his 65th birthday. But uh, we thought the Lord really wanted us to do this now, and I, it turned out well. John, now, did he know about it? When no, you, it was a... Now, how did that work? Give us a little behind the scenes. We threatened people. Wow. We, we threatened them with torture and death if and dismemberment uh, if they... Uh, if they leaked the word, so so it seemed like there was just this really loving, uh, life-filled aura around this book. <laughs> <It was> just... <laughs> yeah, well, we started about three years ago working on this and uh, decided that we would not, we would try to keep it a secret from John. And honestly, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. One of the reasons for that was we feared that if he found out, he would. Um, uh, tell us to stop and not permit <laughs> us to to proceed with it. Because, he wouldn't be your chump anymore. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> So, but we we really followed Paul's counsel in in Philippians two when he said honor such men, referring to Epaphroditus, that it's okay to honor people and you don't dishonor God in doing that. So, um, we honored John in in, in, an, in an expressing our gratitude for his life, his ministry, his theology, his books, uh, his preaching, and the way that uh, the, that God has used him to change so many lives. And mm-hmm. he was very appreciative. He was deeply moved and wept and. Uh, it was it was a beautiful beautiful experience. And the last one, the only one I've ever seen that was written for someone that is alive, and this may be more common than than I know about, but uh, was with whenever they wrote that one for Harold Honer mm-hmm. about the interpretation of the New Testament. But he died a year later, so mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a bad <laughs> sign either. You know, I think we're getting this broadcast off to a bad start. <laughs> so, okay, so, listen, uh, Sam, the, the, yeah. book, the 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 book is made up of many people. We've got. Um, Bruce Ware, we've got Sinclair Ferguson, we've got Thomas Schreiner, we've got G.K. Beale. we got lots of chapters, lots of different focus here, but you also contributed to this book, and that's what we want to focus on a little bit here is is your contribution, and not just saying, all right, let's uh, t- give us a summary of the book and the chapter, but your whole idea, because this is, this is part of uh, w- what you are known for to some degree, and this is the idea of Christian hedonism. And you may pick it up here because you have prepared more for this than than I have as far mm-hmm. as the questions and the things to bring out. But but Christian hedonism is something that uh, you talk about quite a bit. 
Yes, I first uh, was exposed to this when John wrote Desiring God in 1986. Hmm. Um, in fact, uh, interesting, there's a new edition of Desiring God that's coming out in January, which is marking the 25th anniversary of uh, the release of Desiring God. But I, prior to reading Desiring God, I would never have um, put the what the way I typically say it is I would never have put the noun God and the verb enjoy in the same sentence mm. um, because it just seemed a little bit flippant and casual and not really um, serious and deep enough given uh, the New Testament revelation about how we re- relate to God. But John, in his writings, opened up multiple texts in the Old and the New Testament and a way of understanding our relationship with the Lord that made our j- enjoyment of God, our delight in God, our satisfaction in God, uh, at the very center of what it is uh, to be a Christian and the, and the preeminent way by which he's glorified in us. So uh, since 1986, it has become a real passion of mine. Perhaps the may well be the most important theological development in my own experience. Uh, at the same time, there are those who uh, don't like the language. In fact, uh, one of the articles in the book by Mark Talbot um, professor of philosophy at Wheaton College, Mark takes issue with the uh, terminology of Christian hedonism. He doesn't care for it. And Mark's a philosopher, so he analyzes it very philosophically, and he thinks it uh, is not helpful. And he also, in his chapter, people will just have to read it for themselves, it's the most controversial chapter in the book. He contends that there is a depth of suffering that, uh, in essence, destroys all hope. And any con- any idea of joy uh, is largely snuffed out for some Christians because of the intensity and the uh, depth of the nature of certain uh, kinds of suffering. Mm. Uh, it's a very interesting chapter. Um, I didn't agree with all of it, but we welcomed Mark's contribution, and it'll be a challenge to everybody who reads it. It's, it sounds a little bit, we were talking yesterday about C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, that I mean, it seems like in the midst of suffering, he is he is talking about that same topic, perhaps even. So, well, how did this come about? How did you get? How did the book come to where he wrote that chapter, and you're writing your chapter? Was everybody able to choose what they wanted to write about? Was there someone who was directing that? Were you directing that of who wrote on what topic? Yes, we made Justin and I sat down and initially came up with about um, a list of about thirty-five or forty potential contributors because there are a lot of people that love John, have been influenced by him, and have known him. And then we had to narrow that down eventually to I think we have twenty-seven contributors, uh, four of whom are from uh, the church there in uh, Minneapolis, and the others were um, were were selected based on their the longevity of their relationship with John, and also their ability, in our opinion, to address the topics we wanted them to address. So, yes, we selected the topic. We picked out uh, four or five overarching themes that John is known for, sovereignty of God, Jonathan Edwards, the gospel, pastoral ministry, things such as Christian hedonism, um, and then we assigned these individuals the topics, and uh, they all agreed. They were, they were, you know, you were mentioning the list. D.A. Carson has a, an incredible chapter on the gospel and what the gospel is. Um, so we, uh, C.J. Mahaney has written, uh, Mark Dever has written a chapter, um, Al Mohler, uh, so many, David Pallison, all of them on uh, various um, 
aspects of pastoral ministry. So we selected the contributors. We chose the topics. We assigned them. Mm. Uh, and uh, it worked. What yeah. can I say? I mean, it's just an incredible relief to <laughs> finally see this come to fruition. I think people will really, really profit from the book. It covers a wide range. I think the only issue that John is maybe preeminently known for that was not addressed is the influence of C.S. Lewis on his life. Uh, mm-hmm. We had thought about that, but um, we just we had to make some hard choices, and so mm-hmm. that's the one that got... Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know about that. Maybe the next surprise book, huh? Perhaps. <laughs> so uh, one question I had, Piper is a voice that many people do listen to, and out of honor that, that you wrote this book. Why do you think that, th- that this is? Why do you think Piper is a voice that many people listen to, especially today, and allow uh, him to speak into their lives? Well, I think there are probably several reasons. I think um, John is known for uh, a, an incredibly passionate approach uh, to his relationship with God. He um, He's not boring in the slightest. Uh, his life is a reflection of his deep commitment. He, he lives a rather strange life. In fact, there are a couple of chapters in there on who is John Piper and, and what what is life like for him and what has it been for him in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, so I think his personality, his passion, uh, I think the distinctiveness of his uh, theology, obviously the, the preeminent spokesman for Christian hedonism, which is a challenge for many people to understand uh, and incorporate into their relationship with the Lord. Obviously John being the very strong Calvinist that he is, unapologetic uh, in that regard. The fact that he did choose... Uh, pastoral ministry over a career in the academy, I think has given him a broader voice. Um, The fact that he is a prolific author, um, I think think the fact that John is is not qualified, and what I mean by that, he's just, you talk about unplugged. Mm -hmm. John is utterly and absolutely unplugged. Uh, I don't mean by qualified in the sense that he's not competent. I mean he doesn't qualify anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't nuance anything. He is forthright, blunt, sometimes brutally honest in a way that makes people feel uncomfortable uh, when he's questioning them. But I think people appreciate that kind of sincerity, that kind of openness. Uh, and then I think, uh, if I can get you know a little spiritual here, uh, I think John is one of those rare individuals that we would uh, look at over the course of re- biblical and church history and say he has been sovereignly set apart by God to serve a unique role in the development of the church. I mean, obviously we look at the Bible and we see central figures who stand out, who are very instrumental in redemptive history at various junctures. I mean, everything from Abraham to Moses to Daniel to the apostles. Um, But you look in the history of the church, and we have figures like that. Mm -hmm. We have an Athanasius. We have an Augustine, um, Anselm, Aquinas, obviously the Reformers, Calvin and Luther, Wesley, Edwards, uh, people like Spurgeon in the 20th century, um, we we have we were in fact we were talking about this at the conference. John was asked the question, "Who is pr- primarily responsible for this new Calvinism, this young, restless, and reformed movement?" And 
he mentioned um, in deference to others, J.I. Packard, James Montgomery Boyce, R.C. Sproul. And later, he, you know, the little light came on. He said, I can't believe I forgot to mention Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, and, of course, I think John would be included in that. He is simply, uh, I think, being used by God at this juncture in the life of the church in a way that these sorts of individuals have been used. And I think... Fifty years from now, if the Lord has not returned, they'll look back on late 20th and early 21st century, and they'll say, who were those whom God placed his hand upon to affect the church in unique and powerful ways? And those names I just mentioned, plus there are numerous others that mm-hmm. obviously we wouldn't restrict that just to those to the Reformed movement. Um, it's in, incredible individuals who have who are of a different theological persuasion that God has used mightily in the development of the church. But John mm-hmm. would certainly be among them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I remember when I was first exposed to him, I think it was in 99. Uh, it was in seminary or just after seminary. I, I don't remember what it was, but I got a, a um, broadcast for, of his called Doing Missions When Dying is Gain. Mm-hmm. And that was the first I listened to him. I hadn't read any of his books or anything, but I read that. Or, or listen to that, and I, and I just remember one phrase in it. You know, even today, I think I've only listened to it once, and I think I found it one other time in search to find that one phrase, and and it kind of just blew me away because it, it, it represented what you said just then that he doesn't muffle anything. He right. just he just says something that kind of blows you away every once in a while. He's unplugged all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, he, he said, I, and, and you know how he gets kind of quiet and, and, and very passionate. And he said, I have parents who come to me and talk to me about their kids going on mission trips. And the first thing they say to me is, will my kid be okay? And he pauses for a while. He says, I just wish they'd ask me that fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got chills just now saying it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's I, I can repeat John and get chills myself. Mm-hmm. And, and the, why was that so impactful for me what was the whole thing but that kind of centraled on this whole idea of there are things more preeminent there are things greater than than trying to protect our lives and and what he was saying to me was that even your kids lives there's Mm -hmm. something greater out there for them and you know you just don't put it that way you 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 qualify it many times Mm -hmm. and he didn't qualify it yeah, that message actually uh, he delivered for the first time at the uh, Wheaton Theology Missions that's why Conference. That's I listed that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason why John has the impact that he does is because he has such an incredible passion for the nations to take the gospel mm-hmm. to the ends of the earth. He is so driven by uh, the uh, the missionary call and so committed to support and to encourage those who have given everything um, and of course, he's famous for quoting. Was it uh, was it William Carey? I can't remember. David Livingstone or somebody who's who was it asked. Might have been David Livingstone. Yeah, who who, who was asked um, um, about why he had uh, given up so much and gone to such lengths to take the gospel to the unreached peoples. And his point was, he said, people don't understand. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And the point was. Uh, it's not a sac- it's not a loss it's not a sacrifice when uh, you are able to experience the joy of bringing the gospel to those who've never heard before so that those and many other reasons i sus- suspect are why 
John is loved. It's also probably why he's vilified mm-hmm. and uh, and disliked by so many is because he is so unqualified and unnuanced and unplugged mm-hmm. in his commitments and his convictions. Well, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of someone who disliked him. Okay. Um, and I'm going to get in trouble for this because it's, it's our board member. That's okay. We can edit it out. And, and it was after I'd listened to that. I gave out that – I think I was giving out tapes back then, mm. but but I gave it out to many people doing missions when dying is gain. And it was Brad Buell who is on our board here. His uh, phone number is <laughs> – I gave it to him, and he listened to it. And it wasn't him that hated it. It was a week later I get a call from his wife, and she says, Michael, do not – Give Brad any more <laughs> sermons by John Piper. <laughs> uh, and I said, why? And she said, just don't. <laughs> and, you know, come to find out later, you know, that just impacted Brad so deeply. He was mm-hmm. he was selling the clothes off his back, getting ready to do whatever, you know, do missions when dying is gain. And he was excited about dying. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it's... It's that impact that he has. I think. I think it's the passion. Well, and Brad serves our ministry very passionately and very faithfully. So, so he's living it out. He's living it out. Yeah, he is. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, well, give us an idea. You had mentioned that Piper has a strange life. Would you uh, give a little bit of background there? Does he sleep in an oxygen chamber, or <laughs> what would you say makes it a strange life? Well, strange in comparison with most. 21st century evangelicals, not necessarily strange when looked at in the light of biblical figures or other um, great and influential uh, men and women down through the course of church history. Strange for the times in which we live. Uh, John lives a a comparatively simple life uh, in the sense that, um, you know, when he took the pastorate there at Bethlehem Baptist, he bought a house in, in the downtown area in not necessarily what we would consider the suburbs, and uh, uh, he was wanted to be within walking distance of the, of the people and the uh, inner city to, to whom he was going to be ministering. Um, John uh, has never owned a television. Hmm. Uh, I tell the story about the first time that I visited his home. It was when I was speaking at his pastor's conference in 1992, and it just so happened to be um, Super Bowl weekend. In fact, the pastor's hmm. conference is always the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday following the Sunday of the Super Bowl. And that year, the Super Bowl was actually in Minneapolis. And so when I got uh, went to church Sunday morning, went to his house for lunch afterwards, and I just ex- told him, I said, I'm so excited to be able to watch the Super Bowl with you. And he said, not at my house. I said, why not? He said, well, I don't own a TV. Never have. Never will. And I oh, I'm going to miss the Super Bowl. <laughs> and actually, he ended up going over to uh, someone else's house with me, and we actually watched the Super Bowl together. But people think that John is uh, somewhat stoical or he's an ascetic because he does not uh, embrace those kinds of simple pleasures. And the fact of the matter is, it's not his suppression of pleasure that accounts for the fact that he doesn't have a TV. He would say it's in the radical, relentless pursuit of it because he's convinced that television – with all its banal and uh, sensual and ridiculous values that are that are promoted, actually would serve to diminish his capacity for pleasure in God rather than to enhance it. Uh, he sees it as a threat to his joy, 
not uh, a way of uh, in expanding it. And he's got a point there in yeah. many respects. But um, um, gosh, uh, how can I say it? John um, John is has never been known for his uh, sartorial splendor. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, he he's not um, what I'd call fashionable dresser. Uh, people have helped him a lot in recent years, uh, uh, but he uh, the idea of spending money on clothes uh, he finds rather offensive. Spending money on an expensive meal he would never do. Mm. He's not that much into sports, although he does really enjoy dancing things. with the stars. Uh, I don't know if you'll ever find him there. <laughs> he loves gymnastics. He loves anything that magnifies. The glory of God in the human body, uh, the, the the accomplishments of of uh, what a human being can do uh, physically. Well, he's got Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. I know Come it. On. I know it. That is. Uh, that is yeah, have you ever seen Adrian Peterson go head on head? I mean, head on with the linebacker that glorifies God. Did yes. he happen to go to OU? He did as well. He did. I'm just uh, just it wondering just if there's some bias. I think my one principal complaint with John is he does not appreciate baseball. Uh, which I, I think he, the Lord will deal with him on that matter. But um, <laughs> take him uh, aside and have uh, someone teach a class to him before he gets to heaven. That's yeah. that's a side. So John, thing. John typically he will rarely go to movies unless he really thinks that they are going to contribute to um, his understanding of the Lord and uh, have a sanctifying effect. He's not big into uh, the entertainment of, of the contemporary world. Uh, he's very disciplined in his use of time. Um, he um, music. What about music? You know, I don't know that I can answer that question. I've not, I don't think I've ever asked him that. Certainly, John is a passionate worshiper. Uh, you know, he's one of these guys who you know, here's a, a very uh, biblical five point Calvinist, uh, and yet John is incredibly physical and expressive in his worship um he will you'll see his hands raised you'll see him on his knees you'll see tears rolling down his face he's not at all hesitant for his affections to have an effect upon uh his body so john is not a gnostic when it comes to worship he embraces the body as much as the mind and the spirit um he um, he 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 just leaves lives a very simple lifestyle Uh, another odd thing about john is that John could easily be a multimillionaire, probably several times over, has sold hundreds of thousands of copies of most of his books, and he doesn't take any money. All of the uh, royalties from his books, all the uh, honoraria from his speaking engagements are poured back into the Desiring God ministry, uh, which strikes some people as bizarre. Um, But that is John's commitment. He wants that to go to missions. He wants it to go to fuel um, uh, taking the gospel to the nations of the earth to uh, to uh, help local pastors have ac- that's one of the reasons why, for example, Desiring God uh, has a policy when it comes to selling their products as whatever you can afford. Um, if if you can't afford it, they'll give it to you free. It's why, for example, they, they send out uh, books at co- below cost, and it drives his publishers crazy because they have to make a profit, and John wants to give away everything he writes. And well, he's able to do that in part because um, he will r- contribute those royalties back to uh, the ministry. So um, I'd encourage the people if they get a copy of the book to read that. There's a chapter called uh, "Living Three Doors Down from a Power Plant," which was mm-hmm. written by David Livingston, 
Uh, David lived, has lived three doors down from John, and he describes what that is like. And then David Mathis, John's uh, now, associate. So, so not the David Livingston. No, this, this is, is another a, David, David Livingston, <laughs> the one that's still alive and is on staff at Bethlehem. Okay. In fact, oversees the ministry at their south campus. Okay. And then David Mathis, who was John's personal associate, wrote a chapter called Who is John Piper? And he actually talks in that chapter about John's daily and weekly routine. What does he do? How does he spend his time? Um, John is, by his own confession, a notoriously slow reader. You know, people usually look at John and they'll think, well, he's like D.A. Carson. You know, D.A. Carson reads 500 books a year by his own confession and testimony. And I don't doubt it for a moment. John uh, says he can only read as fast as he can speak. And he's a slow reader. He's very meticulous and methodical. uh, But he'll remember virtually everything that he's read. Mm -hmm. Um. And he is very much like Jonathan Edwards, his theological hero, in the sense that he writes constantly, uh, constantly uh, jotting down notes, phrases, sentences. Uh, One of the things that John has often said that I agree with, because he's affected me that way, is that lives are not changed by books. Lives are changed by sentences. And when you stop and think about it, those just the one that you quoted, Michael, a moment ago, or God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. Those pithy, substantive assertions that grab you and they embed themselves in your mind and then they haunt you until the Spirit of God begins to change you in light of of the truth. So, uh, uh, again, you know, here sitting here talking so much about John, I wouldn't want anybody to get the idea that this book was for the fame of John's name. Uh, we initially were entitling the book for the fame of his name, and we thought, in fact, Justin came back and said, you know, I think we ought to make it for the fame of God's name, lest anybody think that it his is a reference to John. Mm-hmm. And uh, John would uh, be appalled and extremely angry with us if he thought that any of what we have done in this volume uh, was designed to bring glory ultimately to him, it is really, truly designed uh, to bring honor to his Savior. So I well, hope we've honored start. him in doing that. Yeah. Now, have when it, you mentioned Justin, too, just to clarify, you're mentioning Justin Taylor? Justin Taylor. Okay, who blogs uh, Between Two Worlds. You can search Google for that and get his blog. Uh, Actually, he's on the Gospel Coalition Oh, now. that's right. His that's blog right. has moved. Justin was, John's, was in the first class of the Bethlehem Institute and um, was John's uh, research associate and traveling assistant for several years. And now is one of the principal editorial directors at Crossway, and was really the uh, the primary uh, workhorse behind the scenes for the uh, uh, ESV Study Bible, which many people probably have in their hands, and, and I love. I use it every morning. So uh, so thanks to Justin for that as well for all of his hard work. Well, uh, speaking about this, this broadcast has been devoted somewhat to John uh, Piper. Some of you all have heard of John Piper. Some of you have not. Hopefully, this has given you a better idea of uh, of some of what he has done and how he has impacted. Obviously, he's impacted you personally. Mm-hmm. Oh, deeply. In fact, I, I people out there who may not be as familiar. I don't know how much time we have left here. We can maybe do it in another segment. But uh, they may be wondering, well, what would you recommend of all his forty books that I read first? Um, and I, I would I would strongly recommend that you get his book, God is the Gospel. Uh, I think that may be one of the most significant ones that he's written. And certainly Desiring God, and then the sequel that he wrote to that called When I Don't Desire God. Yeah. 
those three, I think, would be the, one of the best places to start. I mean, he's written a book, uh, A Hunger for God on Prayer and Fasting, that is uh, truly remarkable. Um, his newest book called Think, The Life of the Mind and the Love of God is superb. It's very much in the vein of J.P. Moreland's book yeah. on that subject, but maybe a little bit more accessible to you know, J.P. So such a deep philosophical thinker mm. and writer. It's a great book. John's is a little bit more for the average is Christian. That, is that out yet? Uh, yes. Yeah, it is. Yes, it's it was released at the conference. Okay. Think was? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, listen, folks, get them, get the book, get familiar with John Piper. I guess this is our broadcast on getting familiar with John Piper. So, so, uh, through the eyes of Sam Storms, through the eyes of Sam Storms. Next time we're going to talk about, uh, specifically Christian hedonism and your contribution to that particular book, but, uh, just what Christian hedonism is and, uh, and a description of that. And we'll, uh, we'll carry on from there for Tim, for Sam, I'm Michael, Theology Unplugged. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner, And for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.